fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. Heard on 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Well, welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. We've got Mr. Mr. Joe Sunshine. Goldberg. <laughs> Call Sunshine. Me Sunshine. Mr. Joe okay. Goldberg. And I'm saying that not just because I'm a sunny personality, as you know. Yeah. But I just looked out the window. The sun is shining in the greater Chicagoland area. We'll get used and to it. It's the last time. It's the first time in a, probably a week, yeah. if, not, if not more. Hold so on I'm, to I'm, it. It's on its way I'm, out. I'm going to go bask in the sunshine. It really is just the first hour of sunshine we've seen in forever. Yeah, you're going to yeah, run out. It seems like everywhere I've been on the tour, it's... It's been raining everywhere. I went yep. to Texas, and they they texted me and said, bring a canoe. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've been shoveling, and now we're in the floods because of all the rain and all the melting. But it's They're like, oh, we, this, what a great full moon. I go, we're like, there's a moon? What's the moon? It's been so long since we've seen the sky. And there it is. I can see it. There's a shadow. I feel like, I feel like a groundhog. It's yeah. exciting. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad you're happy. I'm effervescent. I'm bubbly. Well, Just like Brad. That's a change. Yeah, and, and Brad, Brad Taylor's joining us, and he's got a new book out, Dead Man's Hand. It's a, Of course, it's a Pike Logan novel. It's number 18 in the series. Brad, wow, aren't you tired? I am extremely tired right now. <laughs> to have today to a different city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's crazy. Currently in Phoenix, where the sun is actually shining brightly here. You have poison pen? Yeah, tonight. Okay, wow. I don't, I don't think it ever rains in Phoenix. You know? Well, apparently we landed, and our driver said, it's rained all last week. You're lucky. Wow. like, good. I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, uh, so, Brad, now this one's uh, very interesting, of course, with all of the things going on in the world and, and with Russia and Ukraine, Vladimir Putin, all this stuff. And that's in this book. Um, do, do you ever think twice before you bring current topics into one of your books? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I actually had a rule. <laughs> Don't write about current <laughs> events. I try to be on the bow wave because current events, the problem with them is they're current. Something can go left or right uh, and just completely ruin the book. I actually, when I, I came up with a framework for it and I sent it to my uh, editor and said, look, there's three risks for this book. I'll tell you right up front that could destroy it. Number one, um, the Ukraine war could be over by the time the book comes out because, you know, flash to bang on a book is a year. I said it's low risk, but it's there. You know, Russia could wipe them out or Ukraine could push them out or they could all, you know, agree to do whatever they want to do and the war would be over. Uh, that didn't happen, obviously. Uh, the second one was that um, part of the book deals with Sweden and Finland trying to join NATO. And I said, you know, the odds are it's going to be a close run thing, but they'll probably be in NATO by the time this book comes out. And I said, that's not a big deal, but it is part of the plot. And, uh, and speaking of writing current events, Sweden and NATO said over and over again that it's both of us or none of us. We're joined at the hip. We're joining NATO together, blah, blah, blah. And so I had Sweden, uh, and Sweden was a sticking point. Turkey's got issues with Sweden, and as long as Finland said, I'm not joining without Sweden, then they wouldn't join either. 
And then halfway through writing a book, Finland said, ah, screw this buddy stuff. I'm joining. I was like, rats are frassin'. So I had to go back and rewrite all that, and Sweden was still on the outside. Uh, the book came out Tuesday, midnight, and uh, Tuesday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they voted him in. So, well, there you go. Congratulations. I beat him on a publication. <laughs> but the final risk I had was that uh, uh, something would happen to Putin. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, if he drank some poison tea or fell out of a window or something, that would definitely hurt the book. But I said there's really zero risk of that because – He's a strong man, KGB survivor. He knows how to do this. And then in June, right after I turned the book in, Prigozhin and Wagner crossed the border from Ukraine and said, we're driving to Kremlin. We're going to oh, yeah. destroy everything. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. They're doing a coup? <laughs> yeah. And, and how does it, you know, there's so much controversy and talk in, in the U.S. about people that support Putin, people that don't. There's just like thing, things in the U.S. have kind of gone crazy in public. Um, do you worry about that as well? Because doesn't that sort of center you on us against Putin, and then there's people that actually support Putin? Uh, that doesn't concern me. If you're supporting Putin, you've got to screw loose, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, good to hear. That's what I think. But surprises me every day. So what was the point of the book? Like, when Was there a subtext? Did you have kind of something you want to get across to readers? Well, the, the, obviously the primary thing I want is just to write a really good book and to have uh, – uh, you know, if I get an email from a reader saying I had to stay up all night to finish your book, thanks a lot. That's music to my ears. But I guess the only subset would be we uh, in America, we always talk about regime change and counter leadership targeting and getting rid of the bad guy is, uh, you know, once we do that, it'll all be uh, rainbows and unicorns. And uh, it's not that way. Well, you have to have some kind of plan in place of what you're going to do. I mean, a prime example, that's Libya. You know, Gaddafi was a bad guy. He was a despot and everything. You know, he was not a good person. When the Arab Spring, you know, bubbled up, we were like, hey, we're going to help the people. We're going to get rid of Gaddafi. Well, we did get rid of Gaddafi. And the second and third order effect of that was the second order effect was Benghazi. We had our ambassador murdered and place burned down. We pulled down the flag and fled. Third order effect was all of Gaddafi's uh, armories were looted by terrorists, basically. And then they spread those arms all over the place. And the, the, the armory that um, – flowed into Niger, and they killed four Special Forces soldiers in Niger with weapons that Gaddafi used to have under lock and key, which we lost because we got rid of Gaddafi. So there's always a second and third order effect to a counter-leadership campaign, and I kind of want to look at, you know, what would be the worst effect? And that's the dead man's hand. Nobody knows that Putin has it, but by hitting Putin, you're going to engender nuclear holocaust as a second order effect. Well, before I ask the question based on that, why don't you do the Ibon tour, Brad, Brad, a summation of what the book's about so I can ask these next questions about what the dead oh, man okay. actually is. Yeah, well, that's what actually that's what spawned it. I, I was doing research on a war in Ukraine, not because I was writing a novel, but because I stay on top of that stuff because I still do security consulting. And uh, I ran across this thing called a perimeter system, which was made back in the USSR days, the old Soviet days in the 80s. And it was a, a reaction to our own SDI. Reagan had the Strategic Defense Initiative, which was colloquially known as Star Wars, which theoretically could uh, destroy any missile coming into the United States. Of course, it never reached fruition, but it scared the heck out of Russia because at that time in the 80s, we had uh, mad. The doctrine was mad, mutually assured destruction. The reason we won't go to war is because the first person who goes to war is going to cause the other one. You're both going to die. Mutually assured destruction. And Russia said, you know, if they think they can knock out every missile, then that increases the likelihood they'll do a first strike because there's no repercussions. And they got scared. and They couldn't compete with us in space. So they made the perimeter system. And it was called the dead hand in the West. For reasons it'll become obvious. So basically, it's it's first generation artificial intelligence way back in the day, 
and they put sensors out all over Russia that had like seismic sensors that would see if there's earthquake-like activity, and then they had communication sensors. Is the Kremlin still talking to the high command? And all these sensors would feed into a computer, and if the, everything was met, then the computer would launch all the missiles that were remaining. Uh, so if, if the computer would assess, we've just had a first strike, and we're launching the missiles. And uh, that's why it was called the dead hand. There was nobody at the switch. And they were doing it just to say, you know, you can hit us, but if you do, the missiles are still coming. There's nothing you can do about it. And I was amazed to learn that that system still exists in Russia. Right now they've got the perimeter system, and I'm like, how rickety is that thing? I mean, does anybody check the batteries and all these sensors? And so for the book, I, it was, that was enough for me to say there's a story there. And so for the book, I changed it. Putin changes it from the dead hand to the dead man's hand, where it's not a nuclear first strike that causes the missile to go off. It's something happening to him. And he's doing it for his own people to fight, uh, to prevent his own people from trying to overthrow him or anything like that. Basically saying, if you get rid of me, we're going to go to nuclear Armageddon. So don't get rid of me. Uh, and nobody knows he's got the only the Russians know he's got the dead man's hand in effect. And there's a group of uh, partisans in Ukraine who they, you know, they've been fighting this whole time. They say the only way we're going to end this war is get rid of Putin. So Pike Logan, my main character, is now kind of in a dilemma by helping them get rid of Putin. He is going to engender nuclear war. So now he's, he's forced to say to himself, am I really going to have to protect Putin and attack my allies to prevent this nuclear holocaust? Because it's a second order effect of the of the counter leadership campaign. Well, you say Pikes is in a quandary. Was that written in as you were creating this plot? Says I need to put Pike in the situation where he's going to make these kind of decisions. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't set out. to. I always try to do something like that because the world is not, not black and white. I mean, if you watch the news, every answer to everything is a bumper sticker. You know, uh, they launched a rocket at us in, uh, you know, they just hit Jordan with a rocket. We should nuke Tehran. I mean, it's not a, there's not bumper sticker answers for this stuff. And so I try to do that just about every book. Well, let's ask the big question. This is book 18. How did you scope, scope out Pike as a character? I mean, a lot of happened in the first book. The whole, his whole life is in the first book, and then, he, then Jennifer. So how, how did that, his life develop in your eyes as the person who's created Pike Logan? Well, Originally, um, when I wrote my, the first book, One Rough Man, I, I mean, I didn't have any idea it was going to get published. I wasn't looking to write a series. I wanted to write a story of redemption, kind of, you know, the Rocky theme. I kind of liked that, and that's what I was going to write. And I've had no instruction on how to write, so you do what everybody else does. I Googled, how do you write a book? And uh, it was just a bucket list item thing I wanted to do, and that redemption theme is what I wanted to write about. And, the, you know, everybody says, write what you know. I happen to be a special forces counterterrorism guy, and so that's what Pike became. But, I mean, if I'd have been a police officer, Pike would have been a cop. If I'd have been a priest, Jennifer would have been a nun. But I was a special forces guy, so that's what Pike became. So how has he changed from that first book to now? Yeah, well, he has to be. In the first book, his moral compass is completely broken for reasons that are in the book. And he's no longer looking at the world as in you know, there's good guys and bad guys. He thinks everything's bad, and he's just going to do whatever he thinks feels right. And for him, it's in the first book, it's, you know, the greater good in his eyes, is that answers everything. And uh, Jennifer at that time was more Immanuel Kant with the categorical imperatives that some things are morally right or not right, not based on the outcome, just because of the act itself. And through the, you know, the tenure of the books, through the uh, 18 series, they have to grow. The characters have to grow. You can't have the same pike in book 18 you had in book one because life goes on. I mean, every human condition evolves. You have a child, your, your life evolves. You go to college, your life evolves. And so he's grown more back to what he used to be before his moral compass was broken, and Jennifer's grown more to be more ambiguous instead of black and white. So do you have any future scoped out in your brain, or is it just does it organically sit down to write book 19, which I'm assuming you've already started? 
Yeah, I have. It's uh, this one's going to be about India, but uh, okay. I mean, if you're asking me, do I? I don't sit down and say, where do I want Pike's ethos to go? This, you know, I don't have an arc where like I expect Pike to be at this location five books from now. I give 100% to each and every book, and then don't think about the consequences for the next book, which I wish I had the ability to think that way, but I don't. And I start the next book and think, why did I do that in the book before it? Yeah. Did you go? In, did you go to India? I did. We spent two weeks there running around doing research. Did you find some good locations for this book? It's a pretty big <laughs> oh, yes. place. It's a pretty Definitely. Big... <laughs> yeah, we went all over. We started in uh, Mumbai, went down to Goa, went over to Jaipur, went to New Delhi, Old Delhi, just about everywhere. Yeah, you couldn't Google all those things. No, you can't. I tell you that right now. That's the one reason I do get on the ground. For instance, in this book, the Nordic countries, we went to uh, Copenhagen, Sweden, Finland, and Estonia, hitting all these cities around there. And, you know, it's very hard for me. I mean, some people can do it. I can't do it. i got to get on the ground and see what the culture's like. Every culture is different. And I try to capture that culture on the page. I mean, if you go, you know, every city's got a metro station or a metro ability to, to ride the metro. But it, each city is completely different. If you're in Tokyo, you know, how many, how many Japanese can you get on a metro in Tokyo? One more. more That's how yeah. many. Yep. And yeah. if you're in Sw- Switzerland, it's all very polite. Uh, in India, they have metal detectors and things like that. You're not going to find that on Google, uh, but that would be because the, the you know the genre I write in. That would be uh, um, something I need to know. Pike's running around chasing people with a weapon. He's got it hidden under his coat, but he can't get on the metro because there's a metal detector there. So those are the kind of things that I find out. Right. There's something very particular, unique when you're in there. You pick up the smells, the flavor of the city, or yeah. wherever. You, there's something you can pick up that you don't get off Google. I think. So that's good, you know. Do you, and how how much of your own life, like you know, being from born in Japan and and living in Texas and stuff, how much of your own experience do you put into this? Uh, I don't put anything specifically from my experiences. Like I don't sit there and say, I remember this one assault I did in Fallujah, and I'm going to put that in a book. Um, but you can't help but fall back on your own experiences. So I mean, if you're writing a book about you know, somebody going to the grocery store, what do you do? You think about the last grocery store you were in. You're going to write about swimming in the ocean. You think about what what was it like when I swam in the ocean. So when I'm writing about gunfights or operational planning or things like that, I obviously I fall back on my experiences. Right. Do you think about how you write the violence on the page? Yeah. I, well, I, what I, the main thing I want to do is make sure the reader understands what's going on because, I mean, in an actual battle, um, you could have 12 guys get into a gunfight, and all 12 of them are going to see something different. They're all going to have a different experience for what happened during that fight. But you can't have that for the reader. The reader's got to know what's going on in the fight. Uh, and so the hardest thing is just making sure that the sequence of events flows, number one, that it doesn't get herky-jerky, things like that. It's just flowing on the page. And number two, it doesn't confuse the reader. My wife's my first reader. So when she reads an assault scene or something like that, and she says, I don't understand what's going on here, then I know I need to rewrite it. How do you get yourself into the head of something like Putin, like leaders that are in a different country? Uh, just a ton of reading, ton of reading. So uh, there's plenty of books out there and uh, just reading book after book after book from both sides of the aisle. Whoever's writing, you know, there's some books that are pro-Putin, some books that are not. And really looking at the history of how the person grew up and things like that. I was going to say you think you'd be a little bit worried about having a bestseller, um, you know, dealing with Putin's death. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll tell you, I, I wrote Ghosts of War, which is book, I don't know, 15 or so, maybe it's a little earlier than that, book 10. My wife is shouting at me from across the room. She's right. It's um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I had put in that one, too, and that's, I was like, well, so much for going to Russia and not going there anymore. 
And, uh, you know, I didn't want to get shot at in Ukraine. So that's why we ended up going to Denmark and Finland and Sweden and uh, Estonia. So when you're writing a uh, series that is decades long in the making and characters are decades long in the making, at what point do you say I or have you reached a point or are you worried about reaching the point that says, I don't know where to go next with this person. I, I, I've done an, I've done enough with Pike for a while. Let's go on to something else. Uh, not so much with because of Pike. The uh, I mean, I, some people have asked me before. You know, have you thought about writing a standalone or writing a a different series or, or even you know spinning off some of the characters and like Knuckles or Shoshan or something like that. Right. And at the end of the day, if I wrote a standalone or changed it up and said I'm done with Pike, then the next character you're going to have to have a good guy and a bad guy, and you're going to have to have you know, all the elements that are there. And uh, I'd end up, you know, he wouldn't be named Pike. He'd be named Spike or something like that. And he'd have <laughs> brown hair and, and uh, or blonde hair and brown eyes, but it'd still be Pike. So I don't, I don't, that doesn't worry me. What the hard thing is, is not repeating yourself on the books themselves or even nitnoid things like hand to hand fights. You know, there's a billion different ways you can do a hand to hand fight. And I found out I was using a triangle choke almost every time. I'm like, I got to do something different this time. Or uh, um, technology as it advances forward, how are you going to geolocate this guy? Or even the overarching threat. For instance, this one obviously deals with thermonuclear war. And uh, we were doing, I was in India doing research, you know, banging out a plot. I'm like, you know, this is going to be easy because India's a nuclear state and in Pakistan's a nuclear state. And so that's going to be the big threat. And I'm like, you just did that as a threat. You can't do that again. You got to find something else to do. Well, what do you, what, what, what do you get out of writing a book like what's the most important thing to you putting food on the table oh <laughs> <laughs> nothing deeper for you is there uh, entertain well the i mean i enjoy uh, uh the aspects of writing like i said i've always wanted to be a writer i just never thought it would happen when i was in the military you know for 22 years and uh, i wrote a book just because it's i wanted it was i've always been a voracious reader and it was something i just wanted to do and nobody's more surprised than me that it's sold and certainly nobody's more surprised that i'm on 18 right now then what do you like in a book like when you read, you say you read a lot. So what's what what is it that keeps you into a story? Uh, characters, without a doubt. Um, I firmly believe that you know you can do the plot all day long, but characters are what matter. And uh, like I said, I didn't have any instruction in writing. It's not really true. What's really true is I, that's being a voracious reader of all different genres, I kind of steal. But my instructors were all the authors that I liked. And when I wrote my first book, uh, and to this day it's the same thing I do, is I write what I would like to read. I have never tried to chase. You know, maybe I should put some vampires in the Pike Logan universe <laughs> because that's selling. Uh, so I just write what I think I would like to read. Right, it has to be a zombie vampire then, if, you right. really want, if you really want to sell. But how do you make your characters then? Do you? I mean, you got you've got characters, and you've had characters for a long time. Uh, are they complete people in your brain when you sit down, or are they developing as you're typing away? Even the you know the minor secondary characters. The they it's a little bit of both. So sometimes, like Shoshana. She came out fully formed because I basically wanted somebody that was had the skill of Pike but was the opposite of Pike uh, as far as uh, the way she interacts and things like that. Uh, so I kind of had her. I knew what I was going to do with her. Uh, other times, it's exactly like what you said. I have a secondary character that grows in uh, prominence in later books. I had uh, um, Duncan was a computer hacker. just was a secondary character. All he's doing is doing computer stuff. And then for uh, American Trader, he became a full-fledged character. So as you're as a, as a, he's been in several books, but he's never been super prominent. And so, yeah, he developed over time until I had by the time I wanted to use him as a main character. I kind of just did it uh, organically, not on purpose. And I ended up using him. 
Are there some characters you create just say, you know what, uh, nice idea. See you later, pal. Maybe I'll see you for the next book. Yeah, that, and it's not so much that I, I don't like the character. Um, one of the problem sets I run into is it's a, the, he has a team. It, you know, he's not Jack Reacher or Mitch Rapp that are singletons. He's got a whole team. And sometimes I need a whole team to, to accomplish what I'm trying to do at a certain point in the novel. And then at other times, I'm like, i I, I got to figure out what am I going to do with these guys because i got too many people. i got to do something. Uh, in fact, that, that happened in this book. I sent Veep home because I was like, I, you know, I can't have him just sitting in a hotel room. Everybody's going to say, what's Veep doing? So I, I made a way for him to exit stage left so I'd have enough members of the team to accomplish a mission without overburdening the reader with trying to create something for Veep to do just so he could stay in the book. How do you keep track of all these people? Do you have a do you have a Bible or Excel spreadsheet? Or <laughs> no. you, your wife is sitting in the corner saying, "No, you can't have that blue eyes. You had, had brown eyes last time." Yeah, so I I wish I had done that, and I didn't. But uh, my father in law is apparently doing it for me. So I'm <laughs> actually I'm going to see what he's done. He's he's been going through the books and creating this huge thing just because he's retired and that's what he wants to do. I really wish I would have done that because I have made several mistakes in the books based on that. Uh, because I didn't, I thought, you know, in my own head, I'm like, I know this is right. And then I get an email, somebody saying, Hey, a classic example is, uh, in no fortune son, Kurt Hale, who's a commander of the task force, he's a bachelor and he's got a niece that he really loves. And it's a, kind of a hostage thing. He loves her like a daughter and she gets taken and pikes on the trail to rescue her. And that's the book. Well, then I get an email. What happened to, uh, Kurt Hale's wife? What is she talking about? And so I go back and there's one sentence in one book. That says, I've got a date night with my wife tonight. I can't miss. That is all that's mentioned. And I had forgotten about that. Pike was, <laughs> or not Pike, Kurt was married and I'd completely forgotten about it eight books ago. Didn't you read about that asteroid crashing into her car? You know? <laughs> right. So that's why, you know, she was delivering cookies on Christmas Eve and got hit by cars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Nice. The, the benefits of being in fiction, you just kill people off with another sentence. Yeah. Oh, nice. Real nice. <laughs> Killer off cookies at Christmas. Boy. Um, well, this is a, it's certainly interesting. So you said you're working on 19. How many more do you think you're going to do? Oh, I don't I don't have a number. I mean, I, I, I have never set out to say I'm going to write X number of books. I, like I said, I never thought I'd have one book published. So as long as I still have ideas, I'll keep writing. I guess uh, the answer would be I don't know how many more, but I will when it happens, I guess. Hey, Brad, just about every year, and this is another thing I'm working on. This is just for me, people who are listening. Uh, you can and you can listen along. You write like short stories and like other chunks that are like I guess I'll call them novellas on the side. Why do yeah. you do that? What does that get? And I mean, they're the, they're the characters, right? Yeah, there. It's it's actually it's a way for me to uh, kind of explore things that I can't do in the novel because a full length novel because it would just gets too, you know, just be too convoluted um, for. Like in Daughter of War, like I said, I give 100% for each book, and I had Amina, who's a Syrian refugee, and originally that book was called Shadow Strike, and she was supposed to exit stage left at Chapter 4. And uh, I didn't know how exactly how she was going to exit, but she was only there to facilitate the plot forward. And by the time I got to Chapter 4, I uh, liked her too much. So I let her stay for the old book, and she ended up taking over the book, and I ended up telling my editor, we got to change the title to Daughter of War because it's just much different from what I envisioned. Well, I really love that book. It's a great book. But now Amina's in the universe. I got to do something with her. And uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to do that, how her, her relationship would be with Pike and Jennifer and things like that. And so I wrote uh, um, Exit Fee, 
just I just was writing. Here's what their relationship's going to be like, just to get it in my head. What are the dynamics between this forced family unit type thing? It ended up being, you know, thirty thousand words, and I told my publisher, "Hey, I've got this short story. You, you're interested?" And they, of course, said, "Yeah, bring it on." Uh, and other times, it's been a little spoiler alert. So, Decoy was a character I created, um, and I used him in quite a few books. He was uh, fully formed, you know, a really good character, and he gets killed in um, Days of Rage. And then I got a lot of hate mail over that. People weren't pleased with me, but I mean, combat's unforgiving. Not everybody can. You know, it's not a bunch of Superman. So it worked for that book, 100%. And then the next book, I was like, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Uh, but then as a tribute, I wrote The Recruits, a short story. And Pike's not even in it. I think he's in like one scene. But it's really Knuckles and Decoy, and it's set before any of the actions you know about Decoy because it's his recruitment into the task force down in uh, South America. Well, let's ask the process question. What do you find different between stuffing everything into a short story versus the, the length of a full novel? Well, the hardest part about a short story is that you've got to have the same arc, but you don't have near the room to put it in. That's the hardest part. Um, the and I mean, because you still have to. Somebody's going to buy that short story right off the shelf. I'm going to have to make sure they understand what the task force is. I'm going to have to make sure they understand all the nuances that a full-fledged novel will have. But I don't have all that room to do that. I don't want to bore the reader with that. Uh, so you still got to go up climax in, but you just don't have the space to do it. So I want one last sort of half process question so I put these things together. When you are uh, developing a character inside the book, and I mean almost chapter by chapter, do you have an idea of where you want them to be by the end of a particular time? Say, I, I need them to feel regret here, so I need to write this this type of scene to make them feel regret in the end. Does that Do you think of it that way? Am I making sense? Yeah, I do. I, but I, I don't... Uh, uh... I would say I probably would end up uh, uh, in that specific example. I would probably end up going back and inserting something because I hadn't thought about it until I get to that point and say, this guy, you know, if he's doing action X and it doesn't make sense because I haven't really justified why he would do that, then I would go back in the book and start and flesh that out beforehand. Well, and your character, like Pike, how, how do you experience your characters? Do, do you hear a voice when you when you write them or see them? Um, no, okay. I've heard people say that yeah. my, my characters are speaking to me and I'm like, you need to see the doctor. <laughs> it doesn't happen for me. I just, I, I mean, I have in my head what I'm going to do now when I'm typing a certain character versus Pike versus Jennifer, you do have to do a mental flip and you can't just, you know, when Pike's voice, he's got a certain voice. Jennifer's got, she's female. It's a whole different category. And so when I'm typing from their POV, I've definitely got a shift. And sometimes the shifting happens over books like Lucas Kane was in the first book. And he escaped, I, not because I had any machinations about bringing him back, but I did. By book three, he comes back as a bad guy. Well, he now I really had to flesh him out as to what his motivations were and things like that. Okay, so let me ask a question, and I think I know what the answer is because you're white, but you write a female character, I'll call a person, over time. How have you, what process have you gone through to be able to write a character of a different gender? Uh, the first thing I did, I actually served with quite a number of uh, very strong females in the military. And so the first thing I did was I would have them read it, say, does this, how does this sound? And they were brutal. I mean, brutal. You know, she's not a cry baby, give her a spine, blah, blah, blah. So I'd go back and rewrite it and give it to him and say, what, she's not a guy. She's not going to do that. And so I had, for the first three, four, maybe five books, I had uh, some females, uh, people I'd served with in the military that would read it and critique it. 
Um, naturally, they critique the entire book, but they, I would just say, you know, I want you to tell me what do you think of Jennifer. And instead, I get back, eh, Pike's not, shouldn't be doing this. I'm like, focus on Jennifer. <laughs> uh, so after that tutorial, after about book four, book five-ish, I think, um, I was kind of like, you know, I can take off the water wings now, and I think I know what I need to do. Wow. Interesting. Well, okay. Now let's talk about your social media website and how readers can find you. Yeah. So if they just remember Brad Taylor books, that's basically it. So my website is bradtaylorbooks.com. My handle on Facebook is Brad Taylor books. My handle on Instagram is Brad Taylor books. My handle on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now is Brad Taylor books. Well, hopefully you can find it now, Joe. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll put it up on the website so that you don't have to write that down. He has a problem Thank you. writing. Well, I have excerpts of every single book on my website. So if they just want to get a flavor of how I write for any of the books, there's an excerpt up there. Fantastic. Of course, we're going to have everything up, and we appreciate you being here. The new book, Dead Man's Hand, and the author, Brad Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Brad. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.